the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Welcome, my name is Johnny Baker, and thank you so much for joining us, be it in person or online. Uh, You're really, really welcome. If it's your first time this morning with us, it's great you're here in in the person. Please stay for tea and coffee. You can also stay for lunch as well if you want. Uh, If it's your first time online, please do say hello in the chat. And um, to be honest, as you're online, you're free to make tea and coffee whenever you want. Um, But I trust you're going to listen for the next few minutes anyway. Uh, It's my privilege this morning um, to bring this series to a close. Over the past four weeks, we've been looking at living with thorns. Uh, We've been looking at quite a topical something, well, something the church has to talk about and should talk about a lot, which is mental health and the challenges that people face in this world at the moment. Uh, We live in a broken world. And at times, for many, it can feel like there's no way on or, or no way out even. But what we've seen, I think, in the past few weeks is that time and time and time again, we've seen a God who, in the midst of the darkest moments and the biggest challenges, is still there. And he's still working and he's still powerful. And uh, we're going to land this series this morning. I just want to say, though, right at the start, a huge thank you to some people. Because we've had loads of testimony from Belmont members this series. We've also had loads of practical advice for some um, experts in their field who are members in this church as well. I just want to say a huge thank you. It's been brilliant. And we've really, really appreciated your contribution over the last four weeks. Looking forward to Rose's and Gemma's in a minute as well. Uh, I also want to say a big thank you to someone else. I'd like to say a big thank you to Laura Rawson. Um, every week you've come in this building, you've sat down, you're like, oh, it's lo- something lovely on my, my chair. Um, Laura's put together all this and done loads for this series. So a big thank you to you. If you're online and you're like, I want one, we can get you them. Just say, pop it in the chat and we'll get them uh, to you. Uh, Each week we have been looking at a different Old Testament Bible story linked to a Hebrew name for God. When you learn names of God, you learn more about his character and more about who he is. So we've had a look at all these four things up there. First of all, we looked at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Elohim Machahek, I'm not very good at this, I'm northern, Uh, God our refuge, and this morning... Uh, We are finishing bottom right, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord fights for me, or the Lord is my banner. We're looking at Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Uh, We'll read it in a few moments' time, but I just want to just change topics slightly. Over the past few weeks, it has been and continues to be horrific, doesn't it? Seeing what's going on in Ukraine, it has been heartbreaking witnessing the cruel, inhumane, brutal and wicked acts that have been done to so many people. Uh, As of Friday, the present estimates is that 3.2 million people have fled Ukraine. I cannot begin to even imagine what leaving my homeland would look like, but I do know that it would be absolutely terrifying. Thankfully, many have now escaped and are safe from the rockets, the tanks and the guns, which is good news. However, It's one thing to escape, but it's quite another to be settled somewhere. And uh, over the coming months and years, churches like ours are going to have to wrestle with how we're going to play our part as this crisis unfolds. And whilst this is still early in this horrific war, just this past week, we want to share two things that we've done as a church. We've signed up for two things. 
We've signed up for something called the Global Sanctuary Foundation. That's a project led by Dr. Krish Kandaya in partnership with churches and charities that look to help Ukrainian refugees. Uh, the other thing that we've done as well is we've signed up to welcome churches uh, whose vision is for every refugee in the UK to be welcomed by their local church. Now, what our support looks like, we don't really know, uh, to be honest, yet. But we are upset and we are moved by what we've seen. And as the Bible says time and time again, if we hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. So we are just trying to see what God may be asking us to do in the coming weeks and months. You see, it's this. It's one thing to escape, but it's quite another to be settled somewhere. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It tells the story of a large group of people, the Israelites, racing for their lives from an evil dictator. The Israelites were in slavery, but God had rescued them and helped them on their journey to the land God had promised them, to Canaan. Now, we pick up the story this morning, chapter 17. Uh, The first 14 chapters have told us how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. Amazing. Such great story. Read about it. Uh, Parting the Red Sea, plagues, everything. God had been amazing and helped them. But it's one thing to escape, but it's quite another to be settled somewhere. And this journey to Canaan was torturous. It should have taken the Israelites 11 days. It took 40 years. If you think British Rail is bad, it's... No, sorry. Uh, It's an unbelievably long journey it takes. We don't have time to look at the journey itself, but we are going to just look at one moment early in the journey. And as we reach chapter 17, verse 8, if you've got it in front of you, I'm going to put it on the screen in a moment, but if you've got it, just have a look at the verse before it, verse 7, because they're not in a good place, the Israelites, which is in some ways a bit surprising. They've been rescued by God. But they are arguing, they are bickering, they are doubting God. They're not in a good physical place, they're not in a good mental place, they're not in a good spiritual place. And in verse 7 of chapter 17, the one before we start, despite this amazing rescue, the Israelites ask this question, is the Lord among us or not? Now the Israelites are at a low, but brace yourself, Uh, Verse 8, when we pick it up, it's about to get a whole lot worse because they're about to come under attack from a group of people called called the Amalekites. We're going to read about a battle that takes place between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And as we read it, I just want you to think of this question for me. See if you can work out the answer to this. Who's the MVP? What I mean by MVP is the most valuable player. In old English terms, who's the man of the match? If you like it like that. Uh, If the Israelites turn on Battle of the Day late on Saturday night on BBC One, who are the pundits raving about in this story? We'll read it together. It's quite a tough one, actually, I think. I don't think this is a straightforward answer because loads of people, well, not loads, four, but there's people do, there's lots of people who do great things in this passage. Let's read it together because this story is incredible. Uh, I'll put it on screen as well. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him 
and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on either side, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up. So I just completely lost where I was, sorry. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can read this. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us understand it. Would you help us understand the significance of the characters in here? But more importantly, would you help us to understand the significance of you in this passage, we pray. Amen. Um, If you've never heard that part of the Bible before, How amazing is that story? It's an incredible story, isn't it? If you've heard that passage before, how amazing is that story? It's an incredible story. That's my favourite Bible story I'd forgotten, if I'm honest with you, uh, as we read it. What a resounding way to answer the question, is the Lord among us? Is the Lord among us? You bet he's among us. Have a look at that. How did it start? There's this ambush. These Amalekites come into town. Now, I'm sure some of you are going, who? The Amalekites uh, attack the Israelites. The Amalekites... um, are people, uh, the descendants of a character we meet in the Genesis called Esau. If you want to know more about uh, Esau, he's in Genesis chapter 36. You can find out about him. But he's not a great guy, Esau. And he's summed up in one verse in the New Testament. Hebrews 12 verse 16, it says this. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Wow, what a way to be remembered. Pretty brutal, huh? Esau's godless, says the Bible. He opposed his brother. He threatened to kill him. His descendants, the Amalekites, they wanted to annihilate the Israelites. They're the baddies in the peace. They attack. Who pops up next in the story? Well, for the first time in the Bible, we meet someone called Joshua. Now, why do I say that as first time is important? Well, Joshua appears about 200 times in the Bible in total. And this is the first time we see Joshua. And Moses chooses Joshua to lead the Israelites into battle. But this is not like your standard Hollywood blockbuster. This is not a Troy or Gladiator or anything else like that. Because rather than focusing fully on the battle in the valley, our attention gets taken away to somewhere else. We get taken to a different place. And because um, uh, it's such important what happens elsewhere, I just want to reenact it now. Partly because... I don't know about you, sometimes I read the Bible and I've read four of this. Four people are going to come and help me. Um, uh, here comes Moses, here comes Joshua, um, here comes Aaron, and here comes her. That's, she's, that's, that's Laura, I'm not calling her her, that's her's the name. Um, so, uh, here we go. Uh, there's basically in this story, if you've spotted it, there's four people, three objects. You've got that four people, three objects. Um, Moses has a staff, there you go. Uh, Joshua has a sword. Sorry, that's the best sword I could find. And um, Aaron and her are going to come into this piece in a minute. And it was quite simply this. When Moses uh, took the staff and lifted his hands in the air, winning down in the valley, the Israelites. But when we got a little bit tired, oh, we started losing. And so this goes on for a a bit and it's great. 
Ooh, and so on. Now, I don't know about you, but if you could just put your hands in the air for a second, could you, if you can, if you've got it. Um, it's all right for a bit, isn't it? Now, this is a small staff. It's from my garden, a broken stump. But anyway, imagine holding this for a long time, like ages. I'm not going to make you, don't worry. It would get hard, wouldn't it? You can put your hands down now. And it got hard for Moses, but you've got to go for a bit longer. Enter two other people. Enter, enter object three. Here comes the stone. Sorry. Um, here comes the stone. And they sit Moses down, and then either side, they hold the arms up, and eventually, victory is theirs. Now, I do that. I'm not, I know it's a very easy passage to understand, but I just want you to see it. I think it's really, really important to see it. Because verse 13 then says, So Joshua overcome the Amalekites' army with the sword. Thank you so much. Pop your stuff down. It was starting to hurt. Well, glad we got that over then. Um, okay, here's the question. Who is it? Who's man of the match? Who's the most valuable player? There's four characters there. Aaron, her, Joshua, or Moses. Uh, let's look at them in turn. I firstly, uh, let's look at Aaron and her a second. Um, because I love the role that they play. That's a beautiful role, isn't it? They play an absolutely vital role. Moses is struggling. He's getting tired. He cannot carry on. And they step in. Now, what, Moses, what Aaron and her could have done is they could have stood at the side and cheered. Come on, Moses. You can do it. Woo-woo-woo. Keep going. Stand up. If you and sang at him. They didn't sing at him. They, they actually physically got involved. And it's so crucial that they did that. They didn't stand at the side. At the end of our series in Galatians, uh, when we closed it, I used this quote, but it's, it needs to come again. This is from a gentleman called Tim Keller. You cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of the burden with the other person. Moses understandably got tired carrying this staff and his arms were dropping. Thank goodness, thank goodness for Aaron and her that they got involved. They used their brains, they grabbed the stone, they used their physical being and they held the arms up. And as a result, the Israelites one, it's a great picture of practical support. Now, there'll be many, probably, no, not necessarily many, but there'll be a number of people in this place this morning and online um, who are in a good season right now. And over the past four weeks, um, all this living with thorn stuffs may have been interesting to you, but you may have felt like it's not particularly relevant to me at the moment. And I would understand that. But could I urge you to, to rethink... Because I think it is relevant. I really do. It's important that we help people who are, t- who are about to drop their hands. There are people around this place who are bearing significant loads. And we need people to hold hands up. Will you hold hands up? Will I hold hands up? There are so many ways that we can help so many people, practically, prayerfully, financially. Uh, we've mentioned recently, haven't we? We've focused on this a lot, but rightly so. We're a body. We work together and we walk together. We're not independent, we're interdependent. And the reality is, is that we need one another. You need me, I need you. Now, you may not know who, who needs help or what needs help, but I promise you we can point you in the right direction because there are people who are struggling. If that is you right now, here or online, if you are struggling... 
Uh, we're genuinely sorry that you're struggling. We're genuinely delighted that you're with us. And we're also in it with you. We want to commit to help you. But please notice one thing that Moses didn't do in Exodus 17. And you can look at a passage. I don't see it anyway. When Aaron and her came close, he didn't go, get off. I've got this. I've got this. Just get off me. Didn't do that British 21st century thing as well, did they? It's all right. It's all right. And then fall in a heap. Moses accepted the help of Aaron and her. Early in this pandemic, uh, we created a fund as a church to help and support people who are in need financially. That fund is still there if you need it. There is practical support. There is prayerful support. There's all sorts of support. Do not, do not quit. We are with you and we will come alongside you. There are Aaron's and hers in this congregation who want to hold your hands up. They play a vital part in this story, I think, Aaron and her. Having said that, I don't think they're the MVPs in this piece, I'm afraid. So the obvious one is, isn't it? It's Joshua, because he's the guy. He's the guy who picks the sword up. He's the one who gets himself hands dirty. <laughs> so funny, sorry. Uh, he gets himself really, really stuck in. It's his first appearance in the Bible, and we immediately get a glimpse of someone who's just going just to get stuck in. And it's brilliant. I love what he does. And the church needs people to front up. We, we absolutely need people on the battlefield, in the valley, going for it. Day in, day out, week in, week out. I'm not going to go all Lord Kitchener, World War I. Uh, but the reality is, is that the church needs you. More Joshua's are required. More people to come on in. And there's, there's so much exciting stuff happening here. There's, there's children's work, there's teenager work, there's young adults, there's work with singles, there's work with bereaved, there's work with third A's, there's work with everything here. And we're in a battle and there's some great stuff happening, but we would like to advance further. Could you get on the battlefield? Joshua is a brilliant example of someone who just gets stuck in. But I don't think he's man of the match either. So then we're left with one, aren't we? So here we go. It's narrowed down. It's got to be Moses. What an unbelievable effort. What you may not realise that Moses, Gemma didn't do a very good impression of this. Moses was 80 years old at the time of this. Didn't. That was good, wasn't it? Um, he was 80 years old. He's holding this staff up with a little help. He's looking to God. He's praying. And it's a great effort by Moses. Now, Moses is an enormous character in the Old Testament. I don't have time to speak in great detail about him, but he was a great leader and a great man. Um, but because of time, I just want to say two very brief things. Firstly, he finishes well. This is an 80-year-old man. And he, uh, there's no retirement for Moses from serving God. He knows who God is. He knows what promises he's made. He knows what promises he's kept. He knows what promises he's going to fulfill. And he keeps on serving and loving God till the day he dies. He's a brilliant example of finishing well. The other thing he's a brilliant example of is prayer. This is a prayer moment. This is where he's gone on a hill and he's gone, Father, we need some help. We are in a battle and we need you. And it's brilliant what he does. The great preacher Spurgeon once said this. Life and death, the course of history itself, depended upon prayer. He also said this, a prayerful church is a powerful church. If you want an example of that right now, I know that home groups have been praying for Alpha. I know we have as a church. I know at the church meeting we prayed for Alpha. Yesterday, people in this building became Christians. Yeah, too right. People became followers of Jesus. It's not a coincidence. It's not. It's not. God is changing lives. 
when people get stuck in, when people pray and look to God, everything changes. And it's amazing uh, what happens. Uh, one problem, though. I don't even think it's Moses who's man of the match. Sorry, I've run out of characters here because I don't think it's Aaron, I don't think it's her, I don't think it's Joshua, I don't think it's Moses. They're all brilliant and I love what they do. Please, please take the things that they do and put them into action. I encourage you. But the clue to the MVP, the clue to the man of the match is not found in a person in this story. It's found in one of the objects and it's not the object that most people would think would win a battle. If you were to go into battle tomorrow morning, um, some form, and I was to offer you a better sword uh, or a staff, I think you would go for the, uh, the sword, wouldn't you, if you were had to fight? I, th- I think you'd go to the armory and go for that one. But in this battle, it's not about the sword. It's actually about the staff. That's the key to this. It defies modern logic, but the battle is won by the staff, not the sword. The sword in this book, this story, the sword represents our ability. It represents our power, our resources, and our strength, which are important. Every single person in this room, every single person online has gifts and abilities and talents and resources, and we're called to use them for God. But we have this other source of support. We have this other source of power, strength, resources, and ability. And the staff points to God's ability, God's power, God's strength. And it's the key to the battle. The staff represents the real player, the real man of the match, the person who is in charge all the time, the person who is there in every trial, the person who oversees everything, the true champion, the true hero, the true MVP, was and always will be. It's God. It's God in this story. Absolutely everyone plays their part. They do their bit, and it's brilliant. The sword's important, absolutely. The stone is an important part here. Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and her are key, but the battle and the victory is God's, and only God's. We play our part. Moses knows this. Do you see this? Um, at the end of the passage, uh, whoa, there we go. Moses, uh, there's a post-battle moment. It's like a um, bit after the match of the day bit, where it says, verses 15 says this, Moses built an altar, And called it, the Lord is my banner. And that end part is where we get the name of God. We're thinking about today, Jehovah Nissi. The Hebrew translation uh, of Jehovah Nissi is the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Or we've called it the Lord fights for me. So what does it mean? I I ask that because um, to modern ears, um, I've got to be honest, I think that sounds a bit naff, doesn't it? (laughs) A banner? I'm like, I brought the banner in today. There it is over there. I brought the banner in. Now, if you've you got your Christmas or your birthday coming up and uh, you open up your present, you've got a banner. Oh, that's great. I mean, I was really hoping for an iPhone, but thank you so much for a banner. I mean, that is fantastic. No, back then, a banner was much more significant. Much more significant. Wars are fought differently now. We see that, don't we? But back then, when troops went into battle, a banner was a rallying point. It was a proof of your purpose. And what would happen often is you'd get lost in a battle if you went charging in like they used to do and you're fighting people over here and you're fighting people over there and fighting people up here. Eventually you get lost. The banner would remind you who you are and which way you're going and where you belong and who you are. And so it was a real significant moment of identity back then. It told you all about you. And at the start of this passage, verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? You bet he is. 
And Moses locks it down, doesn't he? It finishes with this bold declaration. Yes, he is among us and he fights for me. And he never lets go. And he's always, always there. Now, I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story. I need to finish now. But it doesn't all go plain sailing after that. The Israelites... But it's a moment when they realise that God stands with them in their darkest days. I need to stop now, but I just want you to encourage you in whatever you're facing. Absolutely, please, in life, fight with a sword. You've got gifts and talents, abilities. Use them. There are other people in your army who've got gifts and sword abilities. Use them too. But more than that, look to the staff. Because it's the staff where the real power comes from. God is our banner. He fights for us. The key to Exodus 17 is not in the valley. That's where it looks like it is. It's on the hill that matters. What transpired on the top of the hill was essential for the success in the valley. That's really important. What happened on the top of the hill was essential for the success in the valley. From this moment in scripture, fast forward 1,440 years or rewind 2,000 years from right now. What happened on the top of a hill at Calvary was and continues to be life-transforming today. A different hill 1,440 years later. Next week, we will turn to Easter and our focus will be there. But know this, whatever happens in our lives in the valley, there's someone who once fought for us on a hill and he won. And he changed everything. The Lord Jesus, as we sung earlier in this series, never ever lets go. He fought for us. He's our banner. He faced the agony of the cross. He conquered the grave and he smashed death from a full stop to a comma. Hallelujah. Whatever goes on in this life, that happened and it's changed everything. Your family are here to support you. We're going to fight together But thank goodness he fought for us. Let's pray. The start of Psalm 121 says this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Father, thank you that just like the Israelites were saved by what happened on the hill, thank you that we too are saved by what happened on a hill 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you fight for us. Thank you that you're where our help comes from. Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. And thank you that you're with us even in those dark and desperate and lost moments. Father, please help us to lift our eyes to you, to be constant in prayer. Absolutely, we're going to look to the sword. We're going to fight. But more importantly, we're going to look to the staff and to you. Thank you that you are with us in the midst of everything. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.